Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of Fizz Radio. Jonathan Hoppy back with Tim Leonard once again. Four weeks since sports came to a crashing halt. Tim, somehow this orange news cycle just keeps on pumping. It really is remarkable. I thought we weren't going to have much to talk about here. And the recruiting scene, the transfer portal between Patrick Tepe and his decision to leave Duke for a moment and then go back. And Alan Griffin, Quincy Ballard comes in. We just have tons to talk about this week. It's like it's the busiest week we've ever had. We've got football as well. That's coming up later in the show. Thanks for joining us, whether it's a podcast version of the show or if you're live on the Score 1260 in Syracuse Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. You mentioned Patrick Tepay, what he brings to the table. Well, frankly, for Syracuse fans, it was only theatrics because people thought he might come to Syracuse after decommitting from Duke. And then he says, no, 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 I'm back with the Blue Devils. So that's what we were watching last week. And then that's had effects into this week as well. Yeah, we were going to do a Fizz Radio last week, and the timing, we were just waiting on Patrick Tepay to make his decision. He decommitted last Thursday, and it felt like reports were saying he was going to announce Syracuse maybe Friday or Saturday. It never came, obviously. Actually, Alan Griffin's news comes the night after Syracuse kind of wins the national title with that Zoom conference, and that was cool. And then we find out that Tepay, I guess, was just bogged up with the academics a little bit, is the reports now, and he's going back to Duke, but... You could probably do a 30 for 30 on what Patrick Tepe was thinking that weekend because no one knows, really. Especially given the time that we're in right now, everybody was watching this kid's decision like a hawk. Where is Tepe going to go? It's not even like he was some sort of extraordinary talent. He's just a tall body that would have fit well in pretty much any system, especially Syracuse. You talk about 6'10", 232. That moves the needle regardless of the talent, and he's a solid player averaging over 10 points per game at Columbia last year. Yeah, and I think those stats even aren't a great indication because it seems like just based on the amount of teams, just the fact that Duke came in after this kid, like that says a lot about his talent. And the 232 is the part that's noteworthy because he's actually probably even gained a little bit of weight maybe, and we have not seen a, a center roll through Syracuse with that type of weight and the ability to score since Rakeem Christmas. Like, we have not had a double-digit score at the center position at Syracuse since Rakeem Christmas. And Tepay brought maybe that upside. But, hey, like, Quincy Ballard's out there now. Matt Harms has been floated around, the Purdue transfer. And, you know, there are other options. It's easy to forget because time is moving slow here, given what's going on in the world. But it's still very early in this transfer portal process. Now, some fans have been getting restless, Tim. They cannot recruit a center. They can't get a big man. Sure, they did not get to pay, but they're in the market for some guys like Ballard. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. This all sets the table, though, for Alan Griffin. No relation to the Orange assistant coach and legendary basketball player. like to get that out of the way early, Tim. It's just a really odd coincidence. But what's not, he replaces a lot of what Elijah Hughes is going to leave. Now, if Griffin is eligible next year, 
We don't know right now. At this point, it's not looking like he will be. But when he does, 6'5", almost 200 pounds, he can score the rock, a wing-type player. That's what the Orange are lacking right now. I want to go on record here with Alan Griffin because I do think this is a tremendous ad for Syracuse. I really see a lot of Elijah Hughes in his game, and I know that's kind of a bold claim to make here, but let's not forget Hughes obviously coming over from ECU wasn't that highly recruited, highly touted coming into Syracuse. Syracuse has had a great track record with identifying transfer talent and developing transfer talent. And I think given what SU needed, which was someone to fill some of that Hughes vacancy, whether it's the three-point shooting, which Griffin brings, he's about a 42% three-point shooter, the athleticism, the ability to play the forward spot of the zone. And we can get into maybe where he fits in the zone. I think he's more of a forward just based on he's probably going to sit for a year and have time to grow and gain some weight there. But I really see a lot of Elijah Hughes in this guy's game. And I, maybe it's just because I'm sitting around and have nothing to do but watch highlights of him, but it seems like he does have a lot of potential. Listen, I'm in on that. A lot of the reason why Hughes, like you mentioned, wasn't that revered coming out of ECU as a transfer, and he did have to sit out a year, but the buzz started to build around Hughes that this guy can light it up, he can do a lot of things, and he led the ACC in scoring last year. Hughes was arguably the best player in the conference, even though he did not give a lot of love from all the media people down in North Carolina and such. Maybe understandable, but not really when you look at the stats. The stats were there, and Griffin's a guy that could fill that void if he does play right away. The vote to make these transfers eligible right away is getting pushed back. John Rothstein reporting that, so we're not sure if it's going to take place. If it doesn't, Probably not going to pick up a waiver, but you never know these days. He fills that void and gives them some much-needed depth. Feels like this team is lacking shooters. With Hughes gone, you've got Gerard and Bayheim. Outside of that, not a lot of options from the perimeter. Griffin certainly is. I was definitely worried about next year's team, and obviously this vote might not this decision, Alan Griffin to transfer based on this vote being pushed back, he might not be able to play next year. But even thinking down the road, a lot of the conversations we had during the struggles in ACC play at the end of last year between you and I was when Elijah Hughes wasn't out there, when he got injured against NC State, when he got injured against Miami, we quickly realized there's only two three-point shooters for Syracuse on the roster. And when Buddy Beheim went from the number two to the number one, he wasn't as effective. Teams could put a little more resources on guarding him. Joe Girard had to do a lot more. He was taking bad shots. Now you bring in Griffin, it does add that third shooter, which is so, so big because going from two to three is a world of difference. And whenever he does play for Syracuse, I think he's one of the most talented players on the roster now. I think he starts right away, whether it's next season, which seems unlikely, or more likely he starts the year after that. And that could be a good team not to jump past next season, but you look at Quincy Garrier could be back, and you assume everyone kind of stays intact and keeps growing. That has potential there to be one of the better Syracuse teams in a while. And next year's prospects looking pretty bleak right now if Griffin is not eligible. You just do not have a ton of offense. Quincy Garrier, for me, as we look ahead to a season that frankly might not even start on time, that's a whole separate conversation, and we'll get into that when we talk about football 
coming up after this break. But you look at Griffin, he provides outside shooting. So Quincy Garrier, if he's forced into that starting lineup, we know he can shoot the ball. He has to improve his percentages. He's got to be able to make shots from the outside. That's the bottom line if he's going to be starting in replace of an ineligible Griffin. I think Jim Beheim has joked, like, I'm going to let him shoot next year. And, you know, I was watching back some of the exhibition games. Again, I just have way too much time on my hands here. But I was thinking back on the exhibition games before the season. And you forget Quincy started those exhibition games. And it was actually kind of a surprise that Dolzhai started game one against Virginia. But Quincy looked pretty good in those games. And I saw him step into like a couple 15-foot jumpers in rhythm and knock him down and even make a three or two. And it was like, man, like what happened to this guy? Like he just never made that first one in actual regular season play. And then it got in his head and then Bayheim's mad at him when he's shooting it. So obviously Quincy's development is going to be big next year. It's weird because if we had talked last week after Griffin commits that night and it feels like to coming and it felt like Griffin was going to be immediately eligible and that vote news hadn't come out from John Rothstein that it looks like it's not going to impact this season, I would have felt great about next year's roster. All of a sudden, they look like a top 25 team maybe, and now they're kind of back to NIT bubble team, which is where they've lived for sadly too long right now. Well, let's look ahead, assuming that Griffin is not ineligible or not eligible for next season. Let's put a grade on this get for the orange out of the transfer market. You're pretty high on it. I'm pretty high on it. I'd say this is a solid B plus a guy who comes in with a lot of potential. He fits a need and could accelerate into that a range. If he overachieves like Elijah Hughes did. Yeah, I think he's an a probably maybe a minus. I mean, he's definitely a talent. I think there's a little bit of question mark in terms of where his head is at at times. And I think that's why he maybe didn't, quite blossom into the player that some thought he would be at Illinois. He only played 18 minutes a game and he had some violations and got suspended from a game and that's well documented. So he definitely has to come in with the right mindset, the right work ethic. And honestly, like, you know, obviously when you think about next year, you want him to be there for Syracuse because as we're talking about, it looks kind of bleak for next year's roster, but it would be kind of nice if he got an actual off season. That's like a normal off season, potentially to learn the two, three zone. And then maybe he learns the guard position and the forward position, and you can work them in both ways. Cause I see him as more of a forward long-term, but they don't really have a, a backup guard outside of Kadari Richmond for next year and kind of the year after that. So I don't know. I, I'd say it's a, it's a very solid get just based on the talent. And that's what they really needed. Griffin's also a guy that could put on some weight. He's not undersized, but You're asking him to fill a void if he's playing that wing spot underneath in the 2-3 zone where he probably is going to need to beef up a little bit. He could do that in the year off, and he could also learn the system. You've got to think that Elijah Hughes benefited from both those things when he sat out a couple years ago. Yeah, Hughes really, I mean, as we talked about, he he became kind of that it guy in practice in those off-seasons, and It does feel like Syracuse has done a good job, maybe not so much with developing high school commits, but for whatever reason, transfers have been really successful. You go down the line, Wes Johnson, guys recently, even Andrew White and John Gillen that one year, although the team didn't do that great, they filled some big spots and made some big shots for that team. So really, with the exception of Geno Thorpe, 
they've had great success at the transfers for their whole history going back to the 80s and even before that. So I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about Griffin. Again, it stings that you don't get to pay and he might not be able to play next year. But just focusing on what could be two years from now, he could add to the fold of a very nice Syracuse team. All right, to pay out Griffin in, will he be eligible next season? Probably not, but only time will tell. Jonathan and Tim with you on Fizz Radio. We're up against our first break, but when we come back, Orange Football misses out on a longtime QB target, came out with his top four. Syracuse was not on the list. We'll tell you about that and where things stand for the SU football program when we come back on Fizz Radio. All right, back on Fizz Radio. Thanks for sticking with us. Jonathan Hoppy, Tim Leonard with you on this Saturday morning in Syracuse. Or if you're listening to the podcast version of the show, we thank you either way. So Christian Ballou, a quarterback that SU has been tied to for a very long time. He actually reclassified, so he's 2021. He's really elevated. When SU first started recruiting him, He was not this high profile. Now he has narrowed down to four schools, Orange not included. It's Clemson, Duke, Penn State, and Tennessee. So, Tim, we always talk about that next quarterback to replace Tommy DeVito. Maybe at one point we thought it was going to be Baloo, but now the proof's in the pudding here. He's not coming to Syracuse. Yeah, I think forever I thought it was a reach, if anything, to get Valu. And now when you look at his ratings and when a team like Clemson's in the discussion, and even Duke, I mean, I know it stinks for some Syracuse fans when you see two ACC schools there, but Duke just has a better reputation with quarterbacks, given David Cutcliffe and his relationship with Peyton Manning, and then there's Daniel Jones in the NFL, and the guy's named the quarterback whisperer. Like, <laughs> it's that nickname for Hard a reason. Hard to compete so, with that. Yeah. So, well, Syracuse has a great scheme and, you know, he kind of grew up in the northern area and it looked like for a while Syracuse was one of the first schools to offer him and there was mutual interest. He had visited Syracuse, he had gone to camps and so forth, but you're right. He just became bigger than Syracuse and sometimes that's going to happen. Honestly, good on the coaching staff a little bit for sort of targeting a guy who became a very highly touted recruit, but here we are again, this time it's very, very early in the 2021 class, and we're still having that quarterback discussion. Now, I do like Dylan Markowitz from the 2020 class, but you're right. I mean, DeVito's not going to be there forever, and obviously quarterback is it goes without saying. It's such an important position for what Babers wants to do and what really any football team or a program that's trying to rebuild or get back to the top, you need to keep bringing in talent at the quarterback position, and it stings that Valu, a guy you were after for a while, is no longer really in your neighborhood. That would have been best case scenario to get Valu committed to Syracuse. This is a talented player, and we all know that he could ultimately change his mind, but usually when these players select four schools, they're going to one of them. And with that kind of list, you would not expect them to flip. So Forget about Baloo for now from a recruiting perspective. The Orange have to move on. They've got a few guys in the pipeline. We'll talk about them later on as we get into the summer and really start to break down this football program. But, Tim, we're not even sure if games are going to be played. And 
First off, I don't want to be that guy that's sitting here sounding the alarm saying they can't play football. I'm certainly not going to be Kirk Herbstreet who came out and said, <laughs> I don't see a situation where we're playing football. But as this evolves here, the sport's already been impacted because spring has been lost. And as you know, that's basically the training camp before these programs come back in August to gear up for the season. So we're truly in uncharted waters from a football perspective. We really are, and you can play the hypothetical game all day. I mean, this is so unprecedented, no one really knows. But what we do know is this is going to impact spring and training camps and offseason, and it already has. And for Syracuse, it's really tough timing because you've got two new coordinators. You've got a new offensive coordinator bringing in a new scheme, and you got a completely different defense coming in with a defensive style. That needs a complete overhaul, by the way. Right, absolutely. And it takes time to implement that and get those new coaching staffs familiar with the players and get the ability for those coaches to realize who is the right talent that fits in their scheme and get to see them one on one. And also for Syracuse, another aspect to this is recruiting, which a program like Syracuse, they have to identify some diamonds in the rough if they want to, because they're not going to get the four stars. They're not going to beat out a Clemson right now. So they got to find the Andre Cisco's. They have to find players in different areas. And that takes scouting. That takes going on trips, going on visits to these kids' schools and meeting with them one-on-one. You can't do that. So while it hurts everyone, it does feel like Syracuse, particularly because of the coordinators and the way they have to recruit, is really hurt by this. Right. How is Tony White going to implement the defense he wants and bringing him bringing in his guys as the defensive coordinator getting rid of the stigma that surrounded this team last year and the terrible defense we saw so many times specifically against Maryland and Boston College laughable performances they've got to shed that and they've got to do it quickly now to get back to the subject of will there be a season This is something that a lot of people need to consider. When you break down how the coronavirus has impacted sports, it's going to impact them for a while. Who knows what we're going to see this summer? But, Tim, for for college football, what it boils down to are schools back on campus in the fall because a college school, a university that's bringing kids from all around the country, all around the world – is that going to be ready in August? And if it's not, the solution is simple. There will not be college football in the fall. Best case, you play it in the spring once things are somewhat back to normal. That's why I'm hesitant to say there will be a football season. I am hopeful. It's way too early to make any predictions. But if schools aren't back in session on campus, there will not be a season. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine right now, right? I mean, I just can't really see fans in stands. It seems so far away. It seems very far, and it is very far away. So that's why we really can't make any predictions here. But, I mean, you said it, like, there's so many moving parts to make sure that it is the right call. And also, football, of all the sports, talk about, you know, banging bodies, and there's a lot of players in each locker room, and just the amount of sheer bodies in each program that's involved with each team that would have to test and go through whatever, you know, we don't know what exactly you'll have to do when it comes to August, September. But if there is 
that in the discussion, it's very hard to see football being the first sport to come into the fold, which I know it's kind of next up to bad in terms of season to start, but I don't know. It's really hard to visualize. And I know Vegas has already put out some lines and Syracuse came out at, I think the over under was five and a half, which was right around what it was last year. And Vegas made a lot of money off of that. And some people were joking, responding to it, saying, can I take the under? Because they're not going to play five games. They're not even going to play a game, probably. And then I can make my money, right? Well, I don't think it's going to work like that. But I do think that it does seem like it's just way too premature to even assume football is going to be back. Well, that's the tough part. Right now, you're not even supposed to sit around the fire with your neighbors, much less pack 50 to 100 people in a locker room and all that sort of thing. So it's tough to guess, but what we can have is hope, and that's so crucial right now in aspects that go beyond sports. Just having hope that we'll get through this, people will do the right thing. So with that in mind, let's talk about this over-under. If the schedule is played out how it's currently constructed, it's a friendlier schedule than what you saw last season, especially out of the gates. I mean, you're looking at your first four games are all very winnable, albeit tricky. You go at BC, you know, three of the first four on the road because of the dome construction. I think that changes the equation here. And getting out to a 4-0 start, while it might look okay on paper, that's going to be hard to do. It is. I, I think they would hit the over, though, if I had to guess. And, you know, it might sound like home or radio. I mean, we are a Syracuse podcast after all. But I I feel like that is the the side I'd lean on just because they're going to be so hungry this year. And whenever, if it does happen, a guy like Tommy DeVito, I mean, he has been pretty public about I'm making promises this year and we're going to get it done. And, you know, talking to some of the players and why the year before that 10-win season was so successful, it was – I think those seniors were just fed up. Like they just put in the extra hours that year because you had three straight seasons of not making a bowl game. They wanted a winning season. So I think there's something to be said about the expectations being different this year that would help their cause. And you can get into the schedule and everything and we can play that game. We played it before and it really is hard to believe they didn't hit the over last year, which seemed like such a lock, but I don't know. I, I just see this team bouncing back this season because I do believe in Dino and I don't really see him faltering for back-to-back seasons. And that would be a disappointment if they didn't make a bowl game. I think so too. I think Tommy DeVito has proven that he's a gamer. Now he hasn't shown it as much as you'd like to see, but his stats were very solid last season. And I think that he's realized what he needs to do as a leader because Two years ago, it all goes back to Eric Dungey, and anybody will tell you that. The heart and soul of the team, putting his body out on the line, how could you not want to play with that guy? And DeVito, I think, slowly moved into that type of player last year, and we saw it against Wake Forest when they had a great attitude against a really good team that was one win away from the Orange Bowl. Yeah, and the only thing I'll add on to that is – We talked about Alan Griffin and the hypothetical, will he come next season? Well, don't forget about Chris Blake and the offensive lineman, the transfer from Florida who has committed. Will he get his waiver pass? Because as we know, that was the downfall last season, offensive line. All right, let's take another break. When we come back, Tim and I moving on to basketball. 
We told you about Quincy Ballard a little bit, but he's another seven-footer that can bring a lot to the table, and the Orange have offered him. We'll get you up to speed on that right after this on Fizz Radio. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jonathan Hoppy with Tim Leonard. Saturday morning in Syracuse right here on the score 1260. So we're talking about quarterbacks for football. Looking down the road, that's what they need. But for basketball, they need that center and they need him right now. So we're going to tell you who they're looking at to fill the void. We started the show with Patrick Tepay, who committed to Duke, then he decommitted, he's back in. Wasn't sure about the academic fit there, but he's out of the picture. So now, Tim, the Orange are looking at guys like Quincy Ballard, who has skyrocketed up the rankings. He's not even rated a local product that moved down to North Carolina. And then Matt Harms would be the best-case scenario, Joshua Morgan. So there's quite a few options, and one thing's for sure, they are really making it known they need a center. Yeah, and it's funny because originally at the start of the offseason, I know Jim Beheim was talking to our pal Matthew Gutierrez, and he was kind of making it seem like, no, I think we're fine. Like, we're not really going to be too aggressive. We'll see if if it's the right fit, maybe. But it seems like they've been aggressive, and especially in the front court area, which I think I'm speaking for everyone here, like, good. They should be aggressive because, as we've talked about, We've been saying that question for five, six years now. Like, who's the center? Who can be that guy? How can they get a center? Well, Harms obviously is best case scenario, but Quincy Ballard is pretty intriguing too, just looking at some of his tape. It's kind of weird because he grew up in Syracuse and Syracuse just offered him this week. I think it was on Wednesday. And now reports are from Matthew Gutierrez that he's announcing on Saturday. So, I don't really know what to make of that, that Syracuse offers him, and then all of a sudden we find out he's announcing a decision. Does that mean he was waiting on that local Syracuse offer, or is Syracuse too late to the fold there, which is often the case if, you know, usually a kid will go to a school that he's been looking at for a while. So NC State's in the picture, Cincinnati, Florida State. He's not ranked, but it's a pretty good offer sheet. Hey, there's nothing else we can do but speculate. So with this time (laughs) in quarantine, that's exactly what we're going to do. Any center would be huge. Think about the end of the season that Sidibe had. Makes you feel a little bit better, but we all know he's really a backup center. He's more of a role player. So if you could come in and get a game changer, and maybe some of these guys like Ballard would not have a huge impact, probably wouldn't oust Sidibe in the starting lineup next year, but it gives you more depth and complements Sidibe who I think has shown over the course of a full season, he's not capable of handling that full load. Yeah, and the thing with Ballard, too, is he's already got the weight, and we haven't seen a center come in with weight a in a A lot of these guys that they're going after do. Yeah, Harms is a good build, too. Harms is 7'3", so that's intriguing from a shot-blocking perspective, <laughs> but he's got the ability to play the zone too and be quick enough. Ballard is seven feet, about 250, 245, depending where you look. So that's already 30 pounds more than Sidibe and the you know strongest player on the Syracuse roster right now. And he'd be able to play right away. I mean, he's a 2020 guy. He's just late in this cycle and kind of a late bloomer. So you know, whenever the season starts, he's there. He's going to play the next season, unlike maybe Alan Griffin. 
And Harms is that way too, because he's a grad transfer. Joshua Morgan, another name we mentioned from Long Beach State, is not that way. So, you know, for next year specifically, when you do have Sidibe in his last year, it would be great if Sidibe was the backup center and you bring in a Harms. And I mean, that's a great center position because I like Jesse Edwards and John Bolajak down the road. They continue to develop maybe. But Harms, as we know, his list right now isn't even really a list. He just said Syracuse was one of 25 schools to reach out to him via a phone call. And they seem like one of the top schools on that list, but it's just really early to tell, and you don't really know anything in regards to that. Well, Matt Harms would be a home run. This is a guy that has played well at Purdue. He was loyal to them and played there for many years, put up some good numbers, and they found him after he was not highly recruited coming out of high school. Just a three-star recruit, Harms is someone who could come in and really change the face of your program right away. I mean, that's the home run ball that this program is looking for at the center position. Much like Tepay would have been, it's it's a similar field, but Harms is more established at a higher level of basketball. And at this point, like you said, we should make it clear, there appears to be no inside track on Harms. There's no reason to believe that Syracuse is any sort of favorite. He's not linked basically anywhere. And quite frankly, this is a guy that's not local. He's from Kansas, I believe. So there's really no reason to believe, yeah, Wichita, Kansas, there's really no reason to believe that Harms is going to come to Syracuse. That feels like a long shot. Yeah, it's definitely far-fetched right now. And, you know, we talked about Tepay, and if he came, would he be the starter? Well, if Matt Harms comes, he's your starter. Like, he is – if they add Harms and Alan Griffin in this cycle in terms of transfer portal, that's like the best transfer portal season of anyone in the country probably. And I don't even think that's hyperbole. So that's what we're talking about if they did get Harms and he immediately changes the ceiling for next year. They maybe vault up to an ACC top five, top six team with him. And his stats aren't that great at Purdue. He was nine points, five rebounds. But like he played some big minutes in the tournament run when they lost to Virginia and what is the last tournament now, even though it was two years ago. And he's a guy that could shoot the three. He could get out and guard the wing position or get to that corner spot in the zone. He's got that lankiness that you look for from a zone prospect. And let's face it, Syracuse has to recruit a specific type of center, and that's why they've been getting a lot of slender guys. Harms is pretty slender, but he's also 7'3 and a really good shot blocker and an instant performer on offense who has a lot of experience he is tippy top like of the transfer portal right now. And the guy you want the most Ballard would still be a nice ad and he's going to announce tonight. So we'll see. I think Ballard, at least, you know, you're getting someone that maybe he's still a quote unquote project like Bolajak and Edwards. And I don't know if he contribute right away, but he's two fifty already. So you don't have to put on too much weight to him. And he's already got the size and frame. That size that they need Tim, And I just want to say too, This has been a good couple of weeks for the program. If you look at this in the big picture, the season ends prematurely. The Orange didn't really care because they were not headed to the tournament. They could have beaten Louisville, but then the odds that they were going to win a couple of more games after that, I don't think so. So you're not going to go to the tournament, even if you somehow did. The season was basically over. So you don't feel terrible about it. You feel for 
you know, teams like Dayton and teams like Kansas, those teams at the top of the list that felt like they were due for a big run. But the Orange have moved on from the season ending, and they have made big splashes outside of losing Hughes. We talk all the time, and we wrote a piece about it, a roundtable discussion of where this program is at. The past two weeks have been positive because they're proving they can be in the conversation for some of these big grad transfers to pay ultimately goes to Duke. They were right there, and at the end of the day, sometimes you just can't compete with what Coach K is offering. Absolutely, and that might be literal. He might have actually come in with an offer there, but <laughs> I, I agree completely. He has – this program is, has had a good couple weeks, and even going back to D.R. Johnson, like let's not forget that was six, seven weeks ago now yeah. that a five-star recruit commits. So it's easy to see you lose out on to pay and – you know, they kind of teased us with some of the reports there. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, Duke again. Like we we're just not making any strides at the center position. That's what we really needed. That was the guy we were after for a while. Duke can just swoop in late. Well, let's just remember here, you lost to Duke on a guy who's really good, but you added one of the other best transfers in the market already at a position you really needed, I'd argue, and a very good fit for what you want down the road in Alan Griffin. And then Dior Johnson is your best recruit literally in program history based on rankings and everything since Carmelo to commit to Syracuse. And that was five, six weeks ago. So overall, I know recruiting has been down since Hopkins left, but last five, six weeks has really been pretty solid for Syracuse. No doubt. They have taken advantage of the situation in more ways than one. The watch party last week was really cool to see everybody gather and and watch that 2003 national championship game. There's a lot of reason to be optimistic, and it just shows, Tim, as we know, the community sure does love Syracuse basketball. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how we still have that, at least, because there's been so much news lately, and it's been typical Syracuse, right, where it's a roller coaster with Tepay, and it looked like they were going to be top 25 maybe, and now they're back to and we'll probably be in the harm sweepstakes and get some more twists and turns there just based on how stuff is going, which is nice to have a little bit of that as this world is kind of turned upside down. That's how things seem to be going right now, and we love being here to talk about it. Jonathan Hoppy with Tim Leonard, Fizz Radio, one final break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up on the show. Get your feedback. What do you think about Alan Griffin? Find out next right here on The Score 1260. The final stretch of Fizz Radio on this Saturday morning. Jonathan Hoppy with Tim Leonard. Before we wrap things up, we just want to send our best wishes. We hope that you and your family are doing okay, staying inside, staying safe, staying well, and we'll all get through this together. Tim, how have you been doing lately? You doing all right staying inside? Yeah, luckily the golf courses are still open over here, which has given me something to do. It's kind of the raised cups, which is a little bit frustrating. But, hey, any golf is – golf for me that's better than nothing right now so i've had that and i've been doing some reading believe it or not wow you're remote yeah. from north carolina now this is a sore subject for a lot of folks up in new york because they just closed the golf yeah. courses in the syracuse area that's tough news i know a lot of people were getting out earlier in the week before they brought the hammer down yeah i kind of twisted the knife there i guess sorry to any golfers out there but hey you we're, didn't we're need getting to. through it yeah so You know, it's tough times, but at least we've got stuff like this to do. And as always, Syracuse basketball has given us some news. So if you're ever 
looking for something to pass the time. We're going to be here throughout the summer and just try and give you some fun content here. No doubt. Follow us, Orange Fizz, on Twitter and orangefizz.net online. Just a few minutes left. We like to close the show with Fizz, Fizz Feedback. We get your voice heard on the show, and we asked a couple of questions. As always, the first, what do you expect from Illinois transfer Alan Griffin? Three options here, role player, solid player, star player. This was a wide margin win for solid starter, 71%. And Dome Nachos, our friend, comes in and says, buddy, sixth man, question mark. I don't think that's an option. Where do you weigh in on this, Tim? Yeah, I think he's more of a forward. I mean, you'd imagine that Bayheim, and he's even said part of the reason why he went to Syracuse was they said they can give me 30, you know, 35 minutes a game. Well, I don't think Bayheim sees him as a guard then if he promised him that because he's already got two guards that are going, one's going to be a junior, one's going to be a sophomore. So regardless of when he starts, you'd imagine Bayheim and Gerard will be there and will have that starting spot down. I think he's a forward long-term. Maybe occasionally you put him at the top of the zone, which would be nice to have some size back at the top, which you lacked last year. Obviously that was a big problem, but I, I think he's a forward and I think solid starter is right on the head there. I mean, 72% for a reason. I'd maybe lean more star player than role player because, as I said, I'm pretty high on his similarities to Hughes and just his game and his talent overall. And if he gets a little bit more workload, because he only got 18 minutes a game at Illinois, but he did shine in some big games in conference play. So I think he's going to be a great ad for Syracuse and a solid starter whenever he starts. Yeah, I'll roll with solid starter as well. So going with Fizz Nation, 71%. Nice job on that, everybody. We're on the same page. But another poll, we're not. What would you grade the Syracuse basketball coaching staff so far this season? A, B, C, or D? Leader in the clubhouse right now, 41% of you say B, and C is 34%. Tim, I'm tempted to go up toward A here. I am too. That's only 17%. I, you know, that's, I guess fans are just a little upset about to pay and not getting that center, which obviously is probably the biggest issue from last year's team, but we did see spurts from Sidibe. I think with Alan Griffin and just how active they've been, the fact that they've been in discussions with other players, at least they are doing what they can and doing their due diligence with a guy like Matt Harm. So you know, I'm going to give them an A, and I think if anything, it's a B, which is the majority, but I would never put C or D in this scenario. I don't think so either. I'll go, realistically, for me, the answer would probably be B+. plus. So I don't have a problem with 40% of people putting that B. After all, that's a pretty solid grade if you ask me. Yeah. C, though, C. We run from C's, and 36% of our audience is saying that right now, at least the people that voted in the poll. I, I think C is really unfair given all this coaching staff has been through and what an unusual time this is and everything they're battling with families and, and talking to players and all that good stuff. It's hard for me to walk away and say that they deserve a C. Yeah. Also, can we include the fact that I've been able to rewatch some old games and I just have a better thought process on Syracuse. I think that has been a factor here. Maybe that contributes to why I feel better about this program right now, but seeing the 2003 national championship and 
seeing that six overtime game again and Bayheim up there joking with Carmelo and Hopkins is for whatever reason, maybe it shouldn't That's be true. the case. Nostalgia it, it feels like, is, is squarely yeah, here. Right. It feels like feels like that's helped their cause a little bit, but maybe A's bullish. I, I'd say B is probably the right answer there, but I, I think C is not fair for what they've done and how active they've been in the transfer portal. Regardless of your grade, we thank you for listening. He's Tim Leonard. I'm Jonathan Hoppy signing off this week on the score 1260. You can catch the podcast of the show. Search orange fizz wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back here next week. Until then, follow us online at orangefizz.net. Have a great day, everybody.